You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining me for tonight's live stream. I am excited to bring you another very important discussion uh, surrounding the issues related to Christian higher ed. Uh, I'm going to be talking to my friend, Dr. Gary Miller. Um, a very long time ago, Dr. Miller and I used to actually attend the same church, and we have some mutual friends. And I reached out to him about a year ago now, and we had a wonderful conversation. He's always been sitting in the back of my mind as an important voice and resource in this discussion that I've been having about Christian higher ed. And I think he is going to be able to help us tackle another piece of the discussion in making sense of what's going on in Christian colleges, but most importantly, how to help Christian colleges preserve a biblically faithful legacy for the next generation. And if you have been following my channel for a while now, you know that I have been researching issues in Christian higher ed for the last two years. I've done several streams related to this topic. Um, I want to encourage you to go back in the archives if you want to hear those discussions. I did an extended conversation with an associate dean at a major Christian college. It was an anonymous interview because she currently works there, but we did a whole deep dive into diversity, equity, and inclusion and what that is looking like in so many Christian colleges. She did a wonderful and balanced job of helping us navigate that discussion. I did another stream uh, looking at um, helping parents, equipping parents, five ways to vet a Christian college, to try to pull back the curtain and see what's happening on the campus there before sending your kids there. This time in this conversation with Dr. Gary Miller, we're going to be talking more on the administrative side of things, um, particularly about hiring, uh, the importance of strategic and careful hiring. So this will be a pre-recorded interview, um, but even though we aren't live tonight, I still want to invite you to uh, comment and leave your feedback for the discussion. I will be on the live stream uh, fielding your questions in the chat box so you can still join in there. Also, please make sure to like the stream, make sure that you're subscribed, and to share this stream, particularly someone that you know that is thinking about sending their kid to Christian college, or if you know someone who works in Christian higher ed, this will be a helpful and valuable resource for them. And with that, I am going to bring on Dr. Gary Miller onto the show. Welcome, Dr. Miller. Well, thank you, Krista, and uh, it's good to be with you. It's wonderful to see you again and to be with you. Uh, I know that you are going to be new to uh, many of the viewers, so maybe a good place to start is to give kind of a, a little thumbnail about yourself. I call it the one-minute introduction of maybe what we should know about you as we're moving into this interview. Well, sure, be happy to do that. Um, first of all, I'm a husband, a father, and a grandfather, and uh, loving to care for each of them as uh, God allows me to do that. But um, 
I am a product of a Christian college, having graduated many decades ago now from a small uh, Christian college in southern Michigan. Um, from there, uh, I actually went into the field of biochemistry, and uh, eventually God uh, led me to go into education, uh, where I spent 42 years of uh, my adult life uh, serving him in uh, higher education, both in public, in private, and then in Christian higher education. Um, I was uh, the provost and senior vice president at Biola University for 13 years and um, ended my career uh, with being the president and executive vice chancellor at uh, Universitas Pelita Harapan outside of Jakarta, Indonesia, and um, completed my teaching at Cal Baptist University. So I've been retired uh, almost five years now and uh, enjoying um, fulfilling whatever God has uh, for me. Uh, and he's supplied me with ample opportunities. That's wonderful. I know you said earlier before we started that you're teaching classes in China via Zoom. So it sounds like you are definitely keeping busy. Yeah, um, I found that uh, the work of the Lord is um, never leaves you uh, bored. And so I'm enjoying it and uh, utilizing every opportunity I get the chance. That's wonderful. Now, we should probably let people know that when you were the provost and senior vice president, for example, at Biola, that was back in like the early 2000s. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I began at uh, Biola University in 1996. I was then the vice provost for undergraduate education. So um, my name shows up on many people's diplomas. And uh, then I became provost and I left uh, Biola University in 2009. Very good. Okay. Now, um, I think when you and I met a year ago, I was in the middle of a massive data collection project. I ended up doing, I don't know, somewhere between 30 to 50 first-person interviews um, and talking to all different people in different areas of Christian higher ed, different schools. You are one of the people that I talk to, and I have really been trying to understand and make sense of what's going on in Christian higher ed, simply because I get, I feel so many questions about it. And you were an important uh, voice and part of that discussion um, one of the things I learned through our conversation is the important role that a provost plays in shaping the life and the culture of a university. Maybe you can share with us a little bit about that position um, and what your experience as a provost working at a major Christian university um, what you did and and how that role functions. Yeah, certainly. I, I actually used to get that question uh, quite often, uh, especially from family members who tried to figure out what in the world it was I did. What did provost mean? And uh, in general, uh, the provost is the chief academic officer at a uh, university. Wouldn't matter if it was a Christian university or a public and secular university. Uh, the provost oversees uh, all of the instruction and the learning uh, that takes place at a university. Uh, that, after all, is the reason why they exist, not just for athletics, but also for teaching and learning. Um, and the provost then also sits generally on the president's cabinet, so works with other professionals to oversee the strategic planning and oversight of the university. 
Um, the provost in many institutions also cares for um, all of the faculty and the teaching and learning environments. So there's a lot of uh, equipment issues and issues related to facilities. Um, they never does it alone. There are lots of other professionals that support that role, um, but it's really broad. And I think uh, extremely impactful for the institution overall to uh, have a person who s oversees these things and then sets direction uh, for the uh, future. Very good. So part of that is your role in, in hiring strategic faculty um, and that you play a big a big part of who comes on board uh, as a provost in as the hiring process in who comes on as faculty and um, to be honest in I do a lot of conversations with people in the um, Christian uh, k to 12 space in that education arena um, and also some in Christian higher ed. And I have to say that um, I feel like, and this is just an opinion, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I feel like hiring strategically is is one of the more under-discussed, under, um, you know, just it's it's just really not out on people's radar as to how important it is. It's it's like uh, I just feel like it needs more discussion. Because hiring well, who you hire becomes the foundation for the legacy piece. Um, and in the issue of Christian education, we want to preserve biblical faithfulness for the next generation. Ironically, like my kids ended up going to the same Christian school school for high school that I went to. So even though, you know, there's like 30 years separating our ages, that school had done a really good job of preserving biblical faithfulness. I sent my kids there. My older daughter also went to Biola just like me. And so I see hiring as a critical part of that. I'm wondering if maybe what your thoughts are about, about that issue. I, I love the way that you uh, set that up because I believe that hiring is probably the most important task in any Christian educational setting. Uh, you have to attract and retain the individuals who, who really embrace the mission, vision, and values of the organization. Because if they don't, um, the interface that occurs between the student and the teacher or the faculty member uh, rapidly breaks down. We have to remember that, uh, especially in a university setting, uh, there is a hierarchy. And it, it begins with uh, the faculty, and then often there are the department chairs, and then the deans, and then the upper administration uh, academic faculty, such as provosts and vice provosts. And so the people who often make those decisions of hiring are at the upper reaches of the hierarchy, but they have to ensure that the people that they're hiring are um, going to be able to uh, embrace and expand the student's knowledge and value system uh, because they are the ones doing the interface. You know, as provost, I, I had contact with quite a few students because I intentionally did that. 
But the reality is the faculty members are the ones who interface with those people every day. And if they don't really embrace, and I, I don't mean just accept, I, I think that's a critical difference there. The, they have to embrace the mission, vision, and values of the university, uh, or else when they teach the students, that thread will be broken if they do not. Yeah, and I think that one of the more common questions I get from parents when they look at a Christian college that maybe they went to 25 or 30 years ago, they're wanting to send their kid to it, but they're seeing signs of liberal drift. One of the things I I want them to understand is that no institution, no school uh, wakes up one day and suddenly overnight finds themselves as a liberal institution. Like, drift takes time mm. and it it i think it the, that's why the hiring piece is so vital because if we're going to um aim for longevity and biblical faithfulness in the longevity we're going to have to have that in our mind to prevent the liberal drift um and so i like what you said there about embracing the mission. Um, I think that's, that's really vital. Um, now one of the things you and I talked about on our call a year ago, um, were some of the steps that you took in, um, cooperation with the president at Biola, who at that time was Dr. Clyde Cook. Uh, and he was the president when I was a student there as well. You guys really took some, some critical steps when you were hiring, faculty. And I would love if you would just kind of walk us through what some of those steps were that you went through to help vet your candidates to make sure that they were truly embracing the mission, mission, vision, and values of Biola and trying to ensure biblical fidelity. Yeah, I'll be happy to. Um, I really think that it takes uh, diligence. It, It takes courage. And it takes a commitment uh, to maintain the biblical faithfulness um, of the individuals that you hire. And it all begins with a solid process. And that included a series of steps that generally began at the department level um, and then went through um, a vetting process with the deans. And then from there, um, and this was unusual, I think, among Christian higher education. Uh, every candidate and their spouse were interviewed uh, by Dr. Cook and me. Um, and we then had the, the distinct advantage of seeing every fa- potential faculty member, everyone who had applied and had gone through the vetting process. Now, that included, for example, uh, individual comments about uh, particular elements of the statement of faith at Biola. So then every individual had to respond in their own words to each and every article of faith that um, Biola held at that time. And then that statement of faith was uh, reviewed and the individual was interviewed by a member from the theology faculty. Now, that sounds uh, to some people a bit intrusive. And I have to tell you, uh, for some people it was. Uh, There were some on the faculty that thought the the, uh, theology faculty got to be gatekeepers. Um, 
But in reality, uh, as I saw it, those uh, theology faculty were responsible uh, in ways that I could not. I do not have a theology degree. And therefore, they had a better knowledge of each of the responses that the person gave and were able to interview them and to identify uh, and clarify if there were any issues. Um, it was it was just a, such an important step so that I could have confidence when that person came to uh, before me and became came before Dr. Cook together, we had confidence that their theological position uh, had to have been in line and consonant with uh, Biola's position. I want to make a quick comment about that because I actually went through that process in 1997 when I was an adjunct at, at Biola. And so I'm going to um, try to dig up, and if I can find it, I'm going to have Bob put a, a picture of it um, on the video here. But I still have my application, and I want people to really understand what people went through um, in doing that and, and what you're describing, because the, the Biola Statement of Faith I think one of the great um, advantages to Biola, now I've been very public in some of my concerns, but I've also been very public and consistent that I think one of Biola's um, legacy pieces that is very sound is their statement of faith and they haven't touched it in over a hundred years. And so um, it's robust, it's detailed. I appreciate that clarity um, and so what you had to do was do a line by line analysis of Biola's statement of faith, write it out, write out each line in your own words. What is your understanding of this along with scripture references? So you had to be able to do your own kind of theological digging to mm -hmm. put those scripture references there line by line. And like I said, it is robust. It is long. <laughs> this is not a five line statement of faith. So that, that took me some time to, to work through that. And then there was an evaluator on your end that would look through all of those things. And then you also had to write an essay about, anything that you took exception with, anything that you didn't have personal beliefs that were consistent with that. So to me, that that was a big step. And I like what you said is the word process. This isn't some willy-nilly thing. This was across the board. Everybody had to do this as part of their application process. Yes, and uh, we would often get uh, some concerns uh, from some folks about like, uh, what what would it matter if a math a mathematics professor um, didn't really fully agree with our statement on uh, the inerrancy of Scripture? Because after all, they're not going to teach these students biblical truths. But the reality is that's a fundamental concept on how individuals build their Christian worldview. And that worldview is what comes out in the classroom, because we all know that faculty in a classroom are not just teaching the discipline. They teach aspects of um, Christian honesty and character and integrity. Um, they uh, really help shape a person's worldview. Our, our mathematics professors at uh, Biola uh, also linked biblical concepts into teaching uh, their uh, units on everything from uh, algebra to calculus. 
And I just admired that so much because then the students saw God's plan in mathematics throughout all of world history, uh, not just because um, some person put together some formulas and they needed to learn those things. And also on the discipleship side for the student, you never know if a student is just going to click with a professor Mm. and they're going to go to that professor in their office hours or if that, if that professor decides to, you know, start a Bible study for all of the math majors, let's, let's stay with that analogy. A discipleship question comes up in the office hours or in the Bible study. Let's say the student is having problems in their personal life and they go to that professor. You want to be assured that that person's not just able to teach math. You want to be assured that if a student comes to that person, they're going to be able to offer biblical counsel that that is sound and and based on inerrancy. Uh, that is so well said. Uh, I mean, we have to understand that uh, during the time that a student is at a Christian college or university, or any university for that matter, um, it's not just filling their head with facts uh, or knowledge or an ability to an- analyze. Uh, This is really developing the mind and the character of the individual. And universities have perhaps a a sacred trust in helping develop these aspects of their students. And studies have shown, I, I distinctly remember looking at these back in the 80s and the 90s, that studies clearly shown that faculty have a 20 times greater influence over the lives of their student than any other staff member at a university, whether it be in student development or residence life. It didn't matter. It was the faculty that the students looked to for that level of guidance and direction. And so who you hire as faculty, uh, it's not just about lifetime appointments. It's about investing in the lives of these students in mind and character. Very good. And one other point that you raised that I just want to dig in a little bit deeper on is integration. Um, When a parent sends their child to a Christian university, even if they can't articulate it or, you know, it's not in the foremost part of their awareness, I think that there's an assumption of most Christian parents that those faculty will be able to integrate their Christian worldview with their academic discipline and that that parent is paying a lot of money to send their child um, to a school that is engaged in that integration project. Otherwise they would just send their child to a junior college, you know? And um, I think that that is very important. I spoke to somebody um, at a major Christian university who was involved in those hiring vetting discussions and was, you know, part of it was their role in the interview process was to vet potential faculty for the depth of integration that that faculty member had, had gone through. And one of the questions that that person would ask, I thought it was such a great question is tell me, about an aspect of your academic discipline that you see that is compatible 
with the Christian worldview. Hmm. And then they would ask the opposite question. Tell me about an aspect of your academic discipline that is uh, in contradiction to the Christian Hmm. worldview. And he told me that usually that second question was quite revelatory Hmm. in terms of how much rigor that person had undergone in their thinking process at the philosophical level of integrating their discipline with their faith. And this question, I think, goes beyond the question of tell, share with me your personal Christian testimony. Mm-hmm. I don't know what your thoughts are about that. Wow. Uh, boy, I'm so glad you opened up that opportunity because uh, one of the questions that Clyde and I uh, would ask every potential candidate was, how will our students know that you love them? You see, we are, we are um, introducing to these people the significant value that faculty play in the role of a developing student. And it's not just about being able to uh, cite a Bible verse or maybe even pray before a class. It was helping these students to learn and grow and trust their faculty, that their faculty's role in being there was to express love and compassion and concern along with the whole concept of uh, teaching and learning. And they, you know, a Christian educator, I have found through my many years of uh, higher education experience, the Christian educator can't help but do that. It's who they are. It emanates out from each and every one of us. Now, I must add that there are some disciplines that find that more challenging than others. And some of that, uh, that as I can see, comes from the uh, instruction that they received, especially in their doctoral programs, their upper graduate programs. Um, and, and I'm not disparaging any group. Uh, it's just that you, you take a sociology major and uh, the rigor that they go through in an academic public environment to earn a doctoral degree. And um, it, there is very little that I have found that is within those programs that talks about the, um, the godly aspects, the biblical foundations. It, it's all about humanism and many uh, aspects that are uh, in contrast to what a Christian faculty member hopefully embraces and is willing to share with their students. That's wonderful and well, well said. I, I think that um, hopefully we're giving people some, some practical ideas of the process. Um, now, I kind of interrupted you in the process. We were talking about the application and all of that. Is there anything you'd like to add you know, that was part of your hiring process? Um, I just want to let you finish that, that answer. Well, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just end with this. Uh, since Dr. Cook and I were the only two people who saw every full-time faculty member, every department chair, every dean. We were the only two people to see everyone and to interview them. Uh, After a while, we got a sense, a really strong sense of what would be a good academic and uh, environmental fit at Biola, as well as a biblical fidelity position for them. Um, And no one else in the entire university had that. And so there were times, I might add that they were rare, but there were times where we had to say no. 
And this was very difficult for our deans and our department chairs and the faculty in that department who had already vetted this individual and thought that they had been found uh, worthy. But um, there were some times where we just uh, got more than a sense. I mean, it was based on fact. It just wasn't this gut feeling. Um, and I have to say, I, I want to add just one more thing. Um, it also came sometimes from their interaction with their spouse. Uh, we believe that family life is seriously important, and we're working with young students who are going to be building families. And I can remember my own experience that uh, when I was at uh, the Christian college where I graduated from, the person who had a greatest impact on me and understanding what a godly family was like was one of my faculty members. So it, I'm sure that was very, um, some hard conversations at times, you know, to, to say no. And that requires a level of courage uh, that I think is important to just to mention that this is a process that you're outlining here that will require courage. It will require harder conversations at times. It will require saying no. And I'm imagining, you know, we're all fallible. We're all humans. I'm imagining that there were some hires, you know, that you look back on and you think, oh, that, that didn't turn out mm -hmm. quite the way I had hoped. And, you know, you missed it. And I think that, you know, that's, that's often, you know, we're, we're all human, but I'm wondering what are some common mistakes um, that you see that schools make when they hire for a position um, that can uh, sometimes result possibly even years later um, into or contributing to a school's drift into more liberal ideas or even more um, liberal future hires? Mm. Um, just briefly before I answer the question, yeah. um, I'd like to add that uh, there is also a, a compelling process that occurs after a faculty member has been hired, and that is an annual appraisal. And so one of the things that uh, a process also includes is being able to, somewhere along the line, if the person drifts away or if it is revealed to us at a later date that this person no, they could have written something on the statement of faith that didn't really come out um, that sometimes you have to say goodbye. And uh, we had to do that. Um, and I have to say that it's always harder to say goodbye than it is to say hello. And so you want to make sure that your process is clean and clear going into it. So now Very some good. of the common mistakes. I, I just listed four um, and there could be more. Uh, but these were the things that came to me. First of all, there's a vagueness in your statement of faith. Mm -hmm. uh, you had mentioned how clear and how um, actually robust the statement of faith was at Biola, and I think continues to be today. Yeah. Um, the, it, it's, it's difficult when you have statements of faith out there uh, that are this broad umbrella that anyone can fit under. Um, if you have a vague statement of faith, you can't expect biblical fidelity. And so I would think that's one of the places where some institutions have uh, drifted. Another one is an overemphasis on credentials rather than character. Mm -hmm. You know, we all fit within this framework 
of accreditation, and some of it is institutional, and some of it is very specific for the discipline. And uh, everybody wants to hire the PhDs with great research and bringing in soft money, but if you don't intentionally look at a person's character, not only their credentials, um, you will you will lose it. You will lose it very quickly. Um, third is I think the lack of commitment to loving students. Uh, that if you're hiring somebody and they're wedded to their discipline more than they are wedded to the teaching and character development of their students, uh, it just goes. And so within your process, you have to have. Uh, places where you ask those questions, where you delve deeply into those aspects um, to determine whether or not that is something that the person wants to do. Do they only want to do research and write papers and give presentations at conferences and so forth? Fine, there's a place for that, but maybe not here, maybe not at this college. And then lastly, um, I think as a loss of focus upon building godly character in all aspects of a student's life. I love the way that you mentioned, you know, maybe a faculty member sets up a Bible study or during their counseling session. I mean, students uh, have critical elements that happen in their lives when they're in college. I mean, parents die, siblings pass on, people get into circumstances that we all go through, that we all uh, um, uh, have to deal with. Wouldn't you want a person that they trust and that they go to for uh, advice to be there and to offer that consoling, helpful, caring, um, loving commitment to that person. Uh, you can only find that out over time, but I think that um, if, you, if a faculty member loses that focus on loving the student and caring for them and building character into their lives, um, then I think the drift is inevitable. Those are four key elements that I always would think of. Those, those are great. And I, I think that part of what we have to understand is, again, that drift is not something that happens overnight. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of little decisions. And so this is why it's important for leadership to have a good process in place, to be revisiting their process, refining their process, and um, also even having a process for when we part ways uh, with people. How, how is that going to look? And um, what will that be? I think that when we're thinking about uh, preserving the legacy of a school for the next generation, we also have to be sober-minded that we live in a cultural moment where, according to multiple um, studies, you know, we're in single digits now for how many uh, people there are in our country who have an actual biblical worldview. <laughs> uh, the, there's multiple Barna studies now that, depending on what age range you're in, you know, it's somewhere between four and 12% of the population has a biblical worldview. And, and Barna's definition of biblical worldview, and I've done multiple streams about this in the past, but it's, it's fairly minimal. I mean, it's, yeah. it's standard Christian things that really all Christians should be believing in, you know, and so, but that 
reality makes that pool for recruitment kind of small. And so recruiters might have to be patient. We might have to trust the Lord to bring the right person rather than just, let's just get somebody in here to fill the position. Uh, you know, that boy, again, that's so well said. Um, we are most vulnerable when we're under pressure. Mm. And some of that pressure is who to hire, uh, semesters coming up, um, you gotta fill a slot. And I, I have, I remember uh, several times where we actually would not hire a full-time position if a candidate came through that, if, if any candidate came through that did not meet our criteria, that we would go into our adjunct pool and continue to allow people that we knew and trusted to do that job and to uh, teach our students with biblical fidelity while we continued the search. Now that's hard because we know the role of a full-time faculty member uh, is so much more robust than that of an adjunct faculty member. And that's not putting anyone down. Uh, I, I spent my last four years teaching as an adjunct at, at Cal Baptist University. And so uh, I understand uh, that role, but it is better to, to wait than it is to make uh, a hasty decision. That's so good. Now, you retired from Biola in, or you left Biola in um, 2009. Um, that was a little bit before we started seeing the whole influx of the diversity, equity, and inclusion mm -hmm. discussion. Um, based on the research I've done, a lot of that stuff started creeping in about eight to 10 years ago mm -hmm. and really in full force about four to five years ago. A lot of it came through the hopefully i get the acronym correct the ecc the evangelical christian college coalition oh that's the cccu the CCCU, christian colleges yes. and universities yes yes a lot and, and you know i've detailed in other streams you know going to their portal and seeing all of their tools and everything but i'm wondering what your thoughts are about just i just want to think about the issue of diversity Okay. Um, because I think that there's a way of thinking about diversity that could be consistent with biblical ideas, but I'm not sure that that's always how it shows up in our processes and, and how we hire. Um, so, and, you know, there's a certain diversity agenda where things can go very wrong and have a direct impact into Christian higher ed. And I'm just wondering you know, if you have any thoughts about the issue of diversity and how that might be done in hiring in a, in a way that is actually biblical. Well, uh, as you have probably surmised, that's a very loaded question. Sorry. <laughs> and, no, no, that's fine. I, I'm, I just want to go on, you know, record as yeah. saying I'm not an expert in yeah. this. And you're right. Um, the timing has come uh, after I have left my uh, senior positions. Right. Um, but I will say this. Um, first of all, 
I believe very clearly that diversity is something that God fully embraces, and it's very biblical. Um, I think of the fact that uh, God made us all who we are uh, for his specific reason and purpose. We are created in the image of a holy God. And um, I think that it's also interesting that it is God who instituted language um, at the Tower of Babel. Like it or not, that's, that's where it all began. And if you look all the way to the end of uh, the biblical record, where it is included that one day all knees will bow and every tongue will confess, and it says in Revelation that um, everybody in every tongue and in every language. And so God instituted those things for his goodness and his grace. I think the serious issue is when we begin putting diversity-related Uh, concepts before the concept of godly character, biblical fidelity. Now, I want to add that there's a lot of pressure on institutions, especially Christian institutions, in having what is defined as a diverse faculty. And this pressure comes from their accrediting associations. Uh, There's a regional accrediting association across the entire United States. Uh, There are seven of them. And um, one of them uh, in this area is called WASC, the Western Association of Schools and Colleges. And they put tremendous pressure. They actually count numbers. How many faculty of color do you have? How many faculty who are male? How many faculty who are female? And when it comes time for accreditation, these institutions are under tremendous pressure. And so um, I I feel that pressure. I understand that pressure. Um, What we have to be careful of, I think, is uh, placing the issue of diversity ahead of the issues that we had previously mentioned, mentioned about biblical fidelity and loving your students, as well as being well-versed in uh, the academic discipline that the people have uh, engaged. Um, so it's a challenging point. Uh, I, I am so glad that I am on this side of the equation right now. I, um, I continue to uh, celebrate and support a number of uh, Christian institutions, um, mostly in roles now of being on boards. Um, and so uh, I'm not immune to the pressure, uh, but we have to stand for uh, what is correct. Excuse me, what is correct uh, going into the future? You raise a point there that I really want to make sure that doesn't pass by the listener too quickly. And that is that um, there is pressure from these outside accreditation entities, and uh, many of them are secular. Um, and there are diversity goals and diversity requirements that. Um, schools need to be looking like they're making advances toward. And I think that that is uh, a reality that Christian higher ed is facing and could explain in part, not in whole, but could explain why DEI principles have been brought into so many Christian colleges is because they want to keep their accreditation. They have to at least at bare minimum feign compliance with these things um, and trying to figure out how to do it in a biblically faithful way. But depending on who your administrators are and like other 
other variables. Where was that person educated? How much uh, robustness have they done in terms of integrating their Christian worldview with their discipline and what their personal opinions are about the authority of scripture? Multiple variables. The people who are implementing those policies um, could, to a greater or lesser degree, bring in more and more of the second secular ideology and secular versions mm. of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Would you say that's fair? Uh, yes, I, I think that's totally fair. And um, the, the challenge, obviously, is um, to be responsible without being held hostage. Mm. And um, we, we want our students to be able to see faculty of color, to be able to interact with different qualities that they would bring into the environment. Um, but we should not be held hostage to that. Yeah. And I, I like your caveat there of, of we want to lead first with the biblical fidelity and all of the things that you outlined in your process first with an eye toward, hey, you know, are there places we're not looking for potentially qualified candidates that would add a level of cultural diversity to, to our staff or faculty. Uh, as we kind of start to wrap up here, I know that you're involved with an innovative Christian college here in Southern California that is in a way trying to reinvent aspects of Christian higher ed. I was wondering if you could talk to us for a couple minutes about that. I'll be happy to. Um, God has given me the opportunity to uh, serve on a board of a startup Christian college. It's uh, very small, uh, less than 100 students right now, only uh, five and a half years in existence. Um, but it is clearly focused on the population that it is serving. And these are generally uh, underserved, first-generation uh, students who perhaps had never thought that they could ever attend a college, let alone a Christian college. Um, many of them uh, look at the financial barriers that exist out there. They are real. I mean, when you're looking at spending forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year to attend a Christian university, um, that that is just in spite of all of the scholarshiping and financial aid that's available, uh, those are just barriers that people cannot overcome. And so this college is uh, only focused on teaching, learning, and student success. No athletic programs, um, no uh, student life uh, programs uh, per se. I mean, we have a student development piece, but it's very small. This is about helping these students come into a Christian college, get a liberal arts degree, win one major, and one major only, that's all that we have, uh, it's in business, and then uh, hiring faculty to be able to teach these students and mentor them, uh, and all of it debt-free, debt-free. And this institution, after only five years in existence, was given full WASC accreditation uh, in February. And so it's quite an accomplishment. Um, I think it uh, speaks for itself that these people are offering quality education to a very deserving population who perhaps had never seen the opportunity being available to them before, and they graduate debt-free in three years with an accredited bachelor's degree in business. That's, that's something worth putting my time into. It sure is. I love the model. I love, I, I love 
creativity. I love innovation. I love the free market solutions that, that invent and create new things. Um, if people want to check it out, if they're living here locally in Southern California and, you know, maybe they, they thought like, you know, Christian call, Christian education is out of my reach. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe you can just tell us the name of it and Bob can put it on the screen for us. Certainly. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to do that. It's Oak Valley college and uh, it's housed in Rialto right now. Um, and uh, we perceive that we'll be there for a while. Uh, we are participating uh, with a church um, at uh, Sunrise Church in uh, Rialto, and uh, students work in cohorts, so uh, they move together throughout their educational program, and at the completion of their uh, degree, uh, each student uh, has to um, also create a business plan and execute a business plan um, that uh, creates new opportunities uh, for the community. And so I'm excited to be able to join in this venture. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I I love it. I love what you guys are doing. I love the innovation behind it. So I definitely wanted to make sure to highlight that. Now, if people want to get connected with you and maybe they want to talk to you, can they, can they email you? Can they uh, do maybe get some of your expertise. I know that we have a lot of people who work in Christian higher ed that low key follow the ministry um, and they might want to reach out to you. Oh man, that would just be a joy for me. Um, As I mentioned earlier to you, uh, I've kind of let my consulting company go, uh, but I have made myself available uh, for anyone who uh, would like some information or maybe I could assist them. Um, so they could reach me at my email at doc and my name, docgarymiller at gmail.com. And I'd be more than happy to uh, be able to respond. Uh, like I said, I currently serve on three boards. And so uh, my goal is to uh, allow the leadership uh, experience that I have had uh, to be gifted towards others so that uh, they and their organizations uh, can flourish uh, in this environment and continue to meet the educational needs of our Christian students today. Thank you so much, Dr. Miller, for being on. You have provided invaluable insights into all of these matters. I really, really appreciate you being part of this, all of these pieces that I'm trying to put together to equip and challenge and help uh, embed some courage in some people's hearts related to preserving Christian higher ed. Uh, thank you so much. Well, it's been my pleasure. And thank you, Krista, for your commitment. I, I think it adds tremendous value to the overarching reach of Christian higher education in our world today. So thanks for being uh, a leader and doing what you're doing. Well, thank you very much. God bless. And you as well. All right, friends, uh, as we wrap up here, I just want to say a word about how much you know I personally believe in Christian higher ed. Um, talking to somebody of the quality of Dr. Miller just, again, encourages my heart that Christian higher education is valuable, it's important, and it's worth trying to rescue. And I know that I've had to do a lot on my channel, on my blog, on my social media. To First, the phase one was let's sound the alarm. Something has gone dreadfully wrong here. And it was a wake up call for me as well uh, in doing the research. I wasn't aware 
of how deeply um, the ideology of the critical social theories and the practical manifestation of that in diversity, equity, and inclusion had penetrated so many of our Christian institutions. And so I think phase one of my project was just sound the alarm. Um, the house is on fire. We've got to do something. My hope is also now in this phase of my project to present, you know, voices of innovation, voices of courage. And um, we talked to our friend Marcus Robinson uh, a few months ago, uh, the um, officer of diversity over at Life Pacific University, and what he's doing there to try to be light on that campus and trying to forge a different vision for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, talking to Dr. Gary Miller, I have a couple of other ideas for podcasts coming. Why am I doing this? Because my hope is to inspire people who are working in Christian higher ed to stand up, be courageous, and start to say there's another way. We can navigate the choppy waters of culture um, better. We can take more steps to preserve biblical fidelity. In some cases, I am hoping and praying and continuing to pray that the Lord will inspire courageous presidents and boards to turn the ship around, to make changes, to part ways with people, to implement new policies that there will be Christian colleges that are biblically faithful that will be around for my grandchildren, for your grandchildren. That is why I'm doing this. So if you know someone who's working in Christian higher ed that is forging new territory or, or putting forth an example of a better way, a biblically faithful way, encourage them to reach out to me. I would love to talk to them. I am still in conversations with people, still making new contacts, still networking. But my goal in all of this is not just to criticize and, and sound the alarm of what's wrong, but also to um, try to raise up courageous men and women to stand for biblical fidelity. And I appreciate people like Dr. Gary Miller, his expertise and his vision for what he accomplished in the early 2000s at Biola with good strategic hiring. Please share this show with someone who needs to, to hear it. I hope that you have found this helpful. Be sure to check out previous streams. Uh, there's a playlist on my YouTube channel to those streams on education and Christian higher ed. So go check those out. Thank you so much. God bless and good night. Be sure to follow Theology Mom on Facebook and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to catch Krista next week for more theology fun on Theology Mom and all the things. Thanks for listening.